back to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we will commence reading. Ephesians chapter 2, we will commence reading from verse 10. From verse 10. In fact, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, that has changed, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away or far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And then our text for this morning. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. We'll end our reading there. And friends, we are looking together at uh, a series of messages that I have entitled Celebrating the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. Celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. And uh, so far, we have been in this new section, beginning with verse 11, where the Apostle Paul is dealing with the church's unity. And when we think about the church's unity, yes, we're not just thinking about our unity in the country, we're also thinking about our unity worldwide, global unity. In other words, it doesn't matter where you go on this planet. It can be in Ukraine, as we're learning a little earlier on. It may be in uh, America, where our friend was thinking, I preach. Those of you who missed the prayer meeting this morning missed out on something there. Someone was thinking that I pastor in America. Was surprised that I actually pastor in Kabwata. And he lives in Zambia, in Lusaka. And he was testifying this morning to join us here. Well, the point is, even there, we can go to Australia, to China, and so on. Wherever you go, you find one church, actually. One church, where as you join them for worship, you discover you are among brothers and sisters. In Christ, God has achieved that 
through his son, the Lord Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, in speaking about this, begins with that terrible division that had been there for centuries between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's where he began, speaking about those who were far off, which is literally all of us who are in this auditorium. And then those who were near, meaning the Jews. Then he went on to see, show how this has been achieved, and that's what we saw last week, uh, rather last time. And it's been achieved through Christ himself being our peace. Through his death on Calvary, he has himself united us, killing our hostility by removing, as we have seen already in our text, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, expressed in, in, in all those sub-laws that were there, the, the various feasts, the, the, the various um, sacrifices that were being done in, in Israel, in the tabernacle, and later on in the temple. All that has been abolished so that we all now have access to God through him. Well, today we are really continuing on the same journey. Uh, but this time, as you will notice uh, there, the, the sermon title is Christ reconciles us all to God. It is through that reconciliation that he has consequently given us a sense of oneness, a sense of unity, so that the church right across the globe speaks in terms of being reconciled to God uh, through faith, uh, through grace, and through Christ alone. It's the same message wherever it is that you go. So let's quickly then delve into particularly verse 16 and verse 17 of our text. We've just seen that Christ has created, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, thus making peace. And that little phrase, that he might create, that we noticed earlier, is now followed by that he might reconcile. So that he might create, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. The point that he's making there is that our reconciliation to one another begins with our reconciliation to God. That's his basic point. Without us being reconciled to God, there is no real heartfelt reconciliation with one another. Now, let's face it. If you go to an average person in the street and you begin to speak to him about the, the hostility that is there in the world, you can be sure that he will not be thinking about hostility between God and ourselves. That's the last thought in his mind. 
He will probably be speaking about either racialism, hostility between perhaps black and white, or he'll be speaking in terms of tribalism, hostility between one tribe and another, or he'll be thinking in terms of uh, political hostility, especially when it is around election time. It will be UPND and PF and so on. Or it might be international hostility that is between Russia and Ukraine at the moment. Or it might be uh, hostility between some football clubs in Qatar at the moment. You know, as they are putting up a, a, a major uh, fight to win the, the most coveted trophy on the globe the FIFA uh, World Cup trophy. But I doubt that the person would be thinking in terms of that hostility that is between ourselves and God. And yet, that's the point. It is that hostility that is between us and God that in fact needs to be addressed. Because without that being addressed, you can be sure that all the other hostilities will still remain, however much we might want to plaster them. And this hostility is referred to by the Apostle Paul, first of all, in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 and beginning with verse 18. So if you just quickly turn with me there, and then we will look at Galatians chapter 3. Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. The Bible says there, For the wrath of God, there is the hostility already. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And therefore God is now angry with sinners because although he has revealed himself in all creation and he has revealed himself in his word, sinners still don't worship him. They still come up with their own self-made religions and in the process, they incur the wrath of Almighty God. We'll come back to this text in a moment, but let's just quickly peep in Galatians chapter 3, because there, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase that this is a curse. God has cursed humanity. Listen to the way it is put in Galatians 3 and verse 13. Primarily talking about Jesus Christ who has taken this curse on our behalf. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Well, basically, that is the hostility that comes from God himself against us as human beings. It is a vertical hostility. It is that hostility that has therefore 
come up with a hell to which we must finally go upon our death. But it's not the only show of this hostility. Part of this hostility from heaven has to do with us becoming totally ungovernable. The failure to have peace among ourselves. The way in which we begin to harm one another. And that's why I'm taking us back to Romans at chapter 1. So let's go back there very quickly. And I want us to see the outworking of this hostility from heaven. And it is in this phrase, he has given them up. Given them up. We notice it first of all in verse 24. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God or about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So having failed to give God his due place in our lives, he has left us at the mercy of our own fallen natures, our own fallen passions. And consequently, sexual immorality becomes the order of the day. Look at the next, verse 28. For this reason, there it is again, he gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So it goes beyond sexual immorality to homosexual immorality, which I think all of us now are fairly aware has become the order of the day. Why? God giving them over to shameful lusts. God giving them over to dishonorable passions. He doesn't end there. Number three, verse 28. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge him, there it is again, this worshiping of God, they've said, no, God, forget about you. We're getting on in life without you. God gave them up. There it is again. God gave them up. Not simply to lusts, not simply to dishonorable passions, but this time to a debased mind. A mind that has become so corrupted, it no longer thinks straight. And as a res result of this, it is to do what ought not to be done. And here is that terrible list. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, 
deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of doing of evil. Now, clearly, you can already see there why community becomes next to impossible. How do you live in a community like this? How? He goes on. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Well, friends, that's our world. That's our community. Why? Because of sin? Yes. But that's not the whole story. Why? Because God is angry with sinners. That's where verse 18 began. For the wrath of God has been revealed. Not will be revealed, but has been revealed already. And that's the reason why, back to our text, our greatest need, if we are going to know unity among ourselves as human beings, our greatest need is not someone telling us, oh, love one another, you know we need one another. If we are not united, we are going to destroy one another. That's, that's not our greatest need. Because as much as these sentimental statements might be made, the moment we go out of that meeting, we are again red with teeth and claws against one another. Our greatest need is a vertical reconciliation, to be reconciled to God. And what this text is telling us is that Jesus Christ has achieved this. Let's go back to our text. Jesus Christ has achieved this. Verse 16. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. He has done it. The question is, how? Well, the answer is there in our text. That he has done it through only one avenue. Only one avenue. Not two, not three, not this is the way for you Jews, and then this is the way for you Gentiles, or this is the way for you Tumbukas, and then this is the way for you Tongas, or this is the way for you whites, and this is the way for you blacks. Nothing like that. It's one way. One way. Let's go back to our text. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. In one body through the cross. Let's think about that for a moment. This one way. In a sense, he's referring to Jesus dying for us on the cross. There it is, on the cross or through the cross. Obviously, he's referring to the fact that there was only one person since creation who needed no reconciliation with God, absolutely zero, and it was Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he was God in human form with no sin, absolutely no sin. 
He was born sinless. He lived an absolutely sinless life. Never sinned in words. Never sinned in thoughts. Let alone in action. Absolutely blameless. And then he took our place. We are the ones who deserve to die on that cross. But what Jesus did was to take upon himself our sin. That he should now suffer the consequences of that hostility. That vertical hostility. I think most of us know 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But let me take you there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the very last verse, the very last verse, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 21. How did Jesus manage this? Verse 21. Let me begin with verse 20, because that word reconciliation is there. The word reconciliation. It, it begins much earlier in uh, verse 18. Oh, this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. There it is. He has, God has done it through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling not the Jews to himself, not the Gentiles to himself, but the world to himself. God has done it in Christ. And how has he done it? Not counting their trespasses against them. But counting it against who? If he has not been counting it against them, well, he will tell us in a few minutes. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be Reconciled to God, whoever you might be, because this is a worldwide message. Be reconciled to God. Well, what has he done to make that happen? Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be seen who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. But God made him to be seen. Not to be sinful, but to have sin in his account. Sin has been transferred to him who had no sin. Listen to this. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Christ, that righteousness he left behind when he took on himself our sin, that righteousness is now given to us freely. And therefore, there is no hostility anymore between God and ourselves. There's no hostility because God is not angry with righteousness. He's angry with sin and he has punished it in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are in friendship now with him because his righteousness has been given to us. 
So the first meaning here is obviously Jesus on the cross dying for our sins. But if we limit this text to 2,000 years ago with Jesus on the cross, we've only ticked 50%. There is another phrase just before the cross which is vital. And it is this, in one body. I hope you didn't miss that. Back to our text, in one body. Let's go back to it. Verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. What is this in one body? I have said to you before, let me say it again, that you are almost inevitably correct whenever you find the phrase in Christ to squeeze in another word, and it is this, in union with, in union with, and we can put it in there. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And he's referring to there to our union with Christ. And it is through our union with Christ that all that which Jesus achieved becomes ours in actual experience. It becomes ours in actual experience. So it's not just that Jesus... On the cross, he had his body on the cross and therefore died on the cross. It is much more than that. It is that when he was dying on the cross, we actually were in him and then in due season across history, we, by the Holy Spirit, we are actually joined to him. We are joined to that body and consequently, we are reconciled to God in actual experience here on earth on the day of our conversion. On the day of our conversion. We experience reconciliation with him in this one body. Turn with me quickly to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul is arguing for the unity of the church. Why the church is one. This is the way he puts it. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all members of the body and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, we were baptized one by one as we came to repentance and faith in Christ. 
on the day of our conversion, the Spirit of God, as he puts it here, immersed us into this body, joined us to this body. And it is, as we shall soon see, a joining that is indifferent, completely indifferent to who you are. And there it is. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In other words, what Jesus has done is not simply to die on the cross, but it is to form one body, which is his body. And that's what the church is. And when we are reconciled to God, we are reconciled to him as we are joined to this one body. Then the benefits of what took place 2,000 years ago become ours. So, we are one church as we are being reconciled to God. We are one church as we are coming to him. Let's go back to our text. It's vital that we capture this. That let's suppose you lived on uh, the Arctic Circle, which is right up in the north, where they probably only see sunshine once, one day a year. And you, you, you've never met any other human being. And somehow you came across the Bible. Maybe someone was visiting there to do explorations and they left their Bible there. And as you read it, you came to conviction of sin and you trusted in Jesus Christ. You don't know any other believers, just you. Does it mean that now you are just on your own, church, full stop? No. What happened in that moment when you were converted was this. The Holy Spirit joined you to the worldwide body. You are still alone on that Arctic circle, but he has actually joined you to a universal body. Some of them have already gone to heaven. Others are still here on earth, just that they are on other continents of the world. And if it ever happens that you are taken from the Arctic circle, and you go to Zambia, and you stumble into Kabwata, and you come here. These are actually your brothers and sisters. They won't sort of be looking at you. Mm, this Eskimo. Can you please excuse us? Maybe you will find some Eskimo Baptist church somewhere. No. The moment you, you, you listen to the singing, you say, yes, yes, this is the Jesus I have believed in. And these people are rejoicing in this Jesus. 
you, 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 you listen to, to the testimonies of conversion. And you say, yes, that's exactly what happened to me on the Arctic Circle. That's what happened to me. I, I also came to conviction of sin and, and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as you, you witness baptism, you, you are saying, yeah, that, that's exactly what I need. So that I can also be identified with God's people. I should also be baptized in water. This, this is me. These are my people. And as, as they're breaking bread and they're saying, this broken for you. This blood is the blood of the covenant which is shed for you. You are sitting among total strangers but your eyes are teary. Maybe you are even weeping in gratitude. Gratitude. You listen to the same one and you say yes. This is the food for my soul. I'm among my very brothers. I'm among my very sisters. This is home to me. The color of their skin, their dressing, everything might be foreign to you, but these are my people. And that's what Jesus is doing across history. He is reconciling us to himself or let's better still to the Father in union with one another in this one body through the same cross upon which he died 2,000 years ago. And because we are all coming in the same way, back to our text, he is thereby killing the hostility. Killing it. Killing it. Out there, there might be tribalism. They might be saying, you know, bimbas are bad. Bimbas, ooh, they are thieves. Don't they have anything to do with them. Don't know. But in the church, no, that's, it's, it's not even in the equation. You know what you're thinking? That's my brother. That's my sister. In Christ. That shouts so loudly that all the other superficial distinctions blur in the background. Blur in the background. Because all you're thinking about is in Christ. We are one. In Christ. We are one. We have come together to feast at the same time. Friends, that's what Christ has done here. Whether we are Jew or Gentile, his grace towards us as sinners shouts the loudest. I mean, imagine for a moment, let's just suppose that all of us we're in a serious famine. A serious famine. We haven't seen food for, for months. We are all nothing but skin and bones. That's all we are. Skin and bones. A number of our relatives have even died 
from starvation, died. We, we hardly now have energy to do anything. And then we are told that an aeroplane has landed at a city airport. Because if they said KK International Airport, we would all die before we get there. So city airport. And that they have all the food that we need, all the food. Enough to feed not just the three to four hundred in here, but thirty thousand if they could be. There's enough there. And so we make our way to that place. And we arrive there. And the food is being given out. The drinks are there. Energy giving drinks and we are reviving. Who among you will be sitting there thinking, ah, what is that Donga doing here? Eh? Who among you will be thinking in terms of, you know, that, that guy who's never gone to school, what is he doing here? No. You will be occupied, mesmerized by just the grace that has reached out to you through this one avenue through this one aeroplane that has landed that's 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 the thing and 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 as you 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 meet you you are rejoicing at that fact hence the hostility that perhaps you once had pales into utter insignificance as you come to this one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And what does God do now through his son? It ends with his words. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Those who were far off is those of us who are in here, the Gentiles. Remember what he said in verse 13. Let's quickly go back to verse 13. He says, um, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's to do with us Gentiles. We were far off. But what has happened? Jesus has ensured that as far away as we might be, his message has reached to us saying, you too are welcome. Come just as you are. It doesn't matter who you are. Come. That's the message that has reached to us. There is a full and free reconciliation with God. Peace with the living God is all yours in Christ. Come. He also went to those who were near. The, the souls of that day, the, the Paul or Peter and, and John and, and, and the Jews. And he also gives them exactly the same message. Peace with God. Not through the slaying of goats and bulls and lambs and sheep and so on. No! Through exactly the same way Christ 
and him crucified. And it is as he will join you into this body of reconciled people to God. So he was preaching the same message to Jew and Gentile. There is only one way, and he is saying, come. I want to end on that note because it suggests two things. First of all, it is that it was God's initiative. This body and reconciliation with him is his initiative. He is the one who has gone to preach. Verse 17, and he came, he came on earth, and he preached peace to you who were far off. It is his initiative. It's not us who have thought about this as a brilliant idea. We have been on each other's throats as we are going on our way to hell. God is the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of kindness. He's the one who has, as it were, gone around the world. And he is saying, come. It is his initiative. But number two, very closely related to that, it is that he wants us to know. He wants us to know. That's why he is proclaiming. He's not just put Jesus to die on the cross for the world, but he's also sent his church to now go and tell everybody. At great cost. Those who were near, it was easier. They were in Jerusalem. Maybe Judea at the most. They would have picked it up. But those who were far, it cost the church a lot. It did. When, when Paul and, and Peter and the others began to go out as missionaries, they were endangering their lives. Read the book of Acts. They were shipwrecked many times. They ended up being in the hands of robbers and being beaten up. In fact, some of them were even killed in the process. But God still wanted the message to go to the Gentiles, that they too might hear, come, come, come. And I want to end on that note, friends, because that's the message that comes to us, saying, it doesn't matter who you are, black or white, slave or free, educated or uneducated, the worst criminal that this earth would have ever produced. It doesn't matter who you are. Reconciliation is through Jesus Christ, and the vehicle is through the church. That's the vehicle. As he joins you to himself, he joins you to one another, he reconciles you to God the Father. It does not matter what your background may be, your ethnicity, it does not matter. Your educational standards, it does not Today, Jesus is saying, you can be reconciled to God today. Because his message continues even today. In this place, in Kabwata Baptist Church, 
all the way from the Middle East, saying, come, come. And you will be part of this glorious company that forgets all our differences as we march together to heaven. Come. Will you not come? Amen.